Well, good morning, Disciples Church. Grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the letter of Ephesians. You'll find in the New Testament, towards the back of your Bible, we're continuing our sermon series through Paul's letter. And what a joy it has been to study God's Word, to grow in these huge, magnificent truths about who God is and how He works and the praise He's due and the power of His grace. Uh, wonder of these things would well us up with worship for him today we're going to study verse 7 and 8 as we continue through this letter i'm excited for our time in the word this morning to specifically look at god's amazing work in redemption redemption look with me at today's scripture ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 and 8 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would move in and through us. Holy Spirit would speak clarity to bring to clear view the the meaning of the word, the application to our lives, conviction of sin, motivation to live for you and worship you. No matter where each one is at, no matter what we've been facing, that our our fleshly tendency to make it about us, to, to, to turn to give too much credit to the to the hardships of this temporary life, Lord, that we'd be reoriented to who we are in Christ, and it would just overwhelm all of the temporary with the reality of the joy it is to be yours, the strength and power you give us. Speak, move clearly this morning through your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have redemption. In other words, we are not self-redeemed. Jesus alone is the redeemer. Before we get into the marvelous depths of redemption, let us see Paul's emphasis first on Jesus. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Who is Paul referencing when he says in him? Well, we look to the context of what he's writing. We we go back again and let's let's see verse 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. 
In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. We concluded last week's sermon with the emphasis that the, the emphasis that the capital B beloved there at the end of verse six is speaking of God the Son, Jesus. Jesus is the beloved of God, the Father, through whom, through Christ, we have been blessed. Then Paul says in verse seven, in him, in Jesus is the emphasis. Paul is about to turn his focus from the will and work of God the Father, which has been the major emphasis of verse 3 through 6, to the work of God the Son, Jesus Christ, which will be his emphasis here in verse 7 through 10. This is before Paul gets into his emphasis of the work of God the Holy Spirit, which is the large emphasis of verse 11 through 14. All of this, verse 3 through 14, is this one beautiful, magnificent sentence of clarity about who God is and how He works. See the evidence of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in this opening beautiful exhortation that Paul gives. In Ephesians. In verse 7 through 10, we'll focus on the work of Christ and most specifically his work of redemption. Each member of the Holy Trinity is involved in the work of redemption, but Christ's work is most central in that the ransom that had to be paid for our deliverance was made by Jesus. Let's focus in on that word. It's a word we Use a lot, it's, it's, a, it's a word that should mean a lot to us. The word redemption, church, should be one of the words you most clearly understand and see and savor in all of your Christian life. And so I pray we would know it all the more as a result of our time in God's Word this morning. Redemption is a word we must come to know better than we do. It is my prayer as one of the shepherds of this flock that each of us have a growing understanding and appreciation for our redemption in Jesus. B.B. Warfield once said it like this, There is no one of the titles of Christ which is more precious to the Christian heart than Redeemer. This is because Redeemer is the name specifically of the Christ of the cross. Wherever we pronounce it, the cross is the placard before our eyes, and our hearts are filled with loving remembrance, not only that Christ has given us salvation, but that He paid a mighty price for it. Redemption in the general use of the word means deliverance. Take note of that. Understand that. When we use that word redemption, we're speaking of being delivered. Deliverance. 
The general use of the word redemption is without reference to the mode by which it is accomplished, the deliverance. But redemption, when talking about the work of Christ on behalf of the elect, is always to be understood in the strict sense of deliverance by ransom. A ransom is a payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. We must understand, church, the prisoners were us. Imprisoned is the human race after the fall of Adam, our federal head, first man. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Everyone born of woman is born in sin, imprisoned, enslaved to sin. King David lamented the reality of our condition in our fallen nature, our enslavement in sin. And notice the time stamp he puts on this. Psalm 51.5, King David says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Not only are we in sin at conception, in sin as we're born, but we go on to sin, fight sin, struggle with sin all of our lives. Isaiah 53 6, we the human race are rightly defined. Isaiah 53 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Not God's way, our own way. The Bible is clear that mankind apart from Christ is enslaved to sin. Prisoners. All we do is sin apart from Christ. We are in bondage due to the corruption of our sin. Titus 1.15, to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. Paul speaks of a Christian's former enslavement to sin. Clearly in Romans chapter 6, Romans 6.6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Here Paul, he makes clear, apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin, enslaved, in bondage. Therefore, a ransom must be paid if we are to be freed. A payment must be paid for the release of prisoners. Listen to these sweet words regarding the work of Jesus to come and take on flesh and die for us. Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. 
And notice the wording here. To give his life as a ransom for many. The payment made for our ransom, for our deliverance, redemption, from bondage to slavery and sin, the payment made is blood. The blood of the only sinless man. The God-man. God the Son. Jesus Christ. Sinless and holy. The spotless Lamb of God. In the Gospel of John, we're given testimony in chapter 1. The forerunner of Christ. The announcer of Christ. John the Baptist. Sin uh, declares Jesus to be the Lamb of God. This is critical because the work of the Lamb of God is the very office in which we stood in deepest need of Him. The blood of the spotless Lamb is what was needed, demanded for our ransom, our redemption, deliverance. God knew from the beginning that we needed the Lamb. And so throughout history, God would use the blood of the Lamb to point to our ultimate need for redemption as mankind, the human race, any who would be saved by His sovereign will. Consider a few markers that He's made along the way. These are just a few that I've plucked out of Scripture to show us this has been um, the long-standing work of the Lord to, to prepare and point us to the Lamb of God, which is Jesus. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 4, we have the Lamb typified as Abel sacrifices a lamb unto the Lord. A good sacrifice is pleasing to the Lord. The blood of the Lamb. We have the Lamb prophesied in Genesis 22.8 where Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide Himself a Lamb. Pointing to the Christ. In Exodus 12, we have the, the Lamb slain on behalf of the people and its blood applied, the Passover. In Isaiah 53.7, for the first time, we learn that the promised Lamb of God would be a man, very specifically stated. John 1.29, John the Baptist identifies the Lamb of God as Jesus. There He is. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. In the end, in Revelation 5, we see the Lamb magnified by the host of heaven. In the last chapter of the Bible, we have the Lamb glorified, seated upon the eternal throne of God. Revelation 22, verse 1. Why so much massive focus in all of human history on a sacrificial Lamb? Because if any of mankind would have hope for redemption, for ransom, we would need the blood of the Lamb of God. Paul makes this most clear in our verse, Ephesians 1, 7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. 
See it. The blood of the Lamb is key to our redemption. It is the price of our ransom. To really appreciate this, though, we must understand that lambs were offered to to sacrifice, to atone for sin in the Old Testament. Listen to God's law and what it demanded in Leviticus chapter 4, 32-35. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for the sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven. Theologically, this is what the Bible calls atonement. The doctrine of atonement begins, its table is set in the Old Testament. Any of you who are raised Jewish or have Jewish friends, you may have it may bring to mind the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. In the Old Testament, beginning in Leviticus, particularly in chapters 16 and 17, it tells us about the Day of Atonement. On that day, the high priest representing the people would take two goats, and one goat would be slaughtered, blood would be shed, the animal would die. As Later, we see in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Death, life. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Death must happen. It must pay for sin. It's what sin earns. Deserves. The animal dies as a substitute in the place of the sinful people at the hands of the high priest. The second goat is called the scapegoat. It was sent out into the wilderness. Before being sent out into the wilderness, the high priest would lay hands over the animal, confess the sins of the people, and the animal would take those sins away symbolically. Here's the problem. And here's why God has been at work at this from the beginning to pave a way for one spotless lamb, Jesus. The Bible is clear. It is impossible for the blood of bulls or goats to take away sins. Hebrews 10, verse 4. So what's going on in all the Old Testament sacrifice, in all the spilling of blood of the spotless goats and lambs? What is going on is a foreshadow of the ultimate grace of God found in the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. All throughout the Old Testament, God is making a way for Jesus, the one who would bring grace upon grace. Oh, how it was the grace of God to give His people this system to point to the fact that they would, that He would not just condemn, but He would act with amazing grace. The whole Old Testament system pointing forward to what would happen someday in a final and full sacrifice for sin for His people. Those whom God would save of the Old Testament, every one of them are putting their faith in the promised one, the Redeemer, in Jesus. There is no salvation apart from Christ alone. So even those in the Old Testament ultimately putting their faith in the only one who can actually atone for their sins, Jesus Christ.
Listen to First Peter chapter 1, 18 through 19. Peter, another eyewitness of Jesus, describes how the Lamb of God would take away our sin. Again, listen to his words. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was sinless. No imperfections. The spotless lamb. This is what was required for our ransom from sin. No sinful man could do this. Only the holy Messiah Jesus Christ. No man walked this earth in total obedience and righteousness other than Christ. God the Son in flesh. God's right requirement was a substitute who was without blemish, without spot. Not just in appearance, but in his entire being. Hear me, you and I do not qualify to meet this standard. We are desperate for Christ alone. You cannot stand before the Holy God on your own merit. How arrogant it is for one to live their life and assume that the accumulation, the totality of their good deeds will somehow meet the holy and perfect standard of God to be welcomed into eternal fellowship with Him. That is arrogance. That is sin at work. You cannot stand before the holy God on your own merit. You are blemished. You are stained in sin. We needed the righteous, pure blood of Jesus alone. The blood ransom of another, and not just any other, but the only one without sin, Jesus Christ. Hear it again. And let it launch you into high praise and utter gratitude to God. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. This is the aim of Paul in writing to his fellow beloved saints, Christians. See and savor this good news of who you are in Christ. In your redemption. In Him, in Jesus. Only in Jesus. We have redemption. Deliverance. Through His blood. If you can hear my voice, and you have yet to truly trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, to be the Lord of your life, then hear this most vital truth today. 
you can only be ransomed from your imprisonment in sin. You can only be delivered from what your sin earns you, which is eternal death and punishment. You can only be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Repent of your sin today and trust your life to Jesus as Savior and Lord and be saved. To the Christian, you are the redeemed. Galatians 4, 4-5 through But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Oh, how I want you to understand and hold so high your redemption. Each of us, saved by Jesus' blood, shed in our place, have been redeemed, delivered. Think about that. Christian, your story is one of redemption. Think about how amazing it is to hear stories about people who were ransomed or redeemed from enslavement. They were in a lifetime or a long time of certain doom, imprisoned, lost without hope, no ability to free themselves. And then you hear about their ransom, their deliverance, and you're just going, that is amazing. That happened to you. It's amazing to hear that that, that's your story. Christian, that is your story. Do you get that? Do Do you speak of it? You share it. It's Amazing what God has done to deliver you. To speak of the, the depth and the, and, the, and, and the demise, the damnation of what our enslavement to sin meant. And the, and, and the good news of grace, of the blood of Jesus, of deliverance. Oh, modern Christian, we have all too quickly just become too neutral with this truth. It should leap you out of bed in the morning. It should be the first thing on your lips and your mind as you interact with each person He puts in your path. That It would stir us, motivate us, mobilize us. The good news of the Gospel. Our Redeemer. We are redeemed. The one who freed you, the one who paid for your ransom, is God the Son. Not some really nice guy. Not some trained soldier. Not not some good Samaritan. The eternal magnificent, worthy, great God the Son is your Redeemer.
Oh, how we need to tell a story more boldly to others who are also in, who are in bondage. We Christians walk among bound slaves every day. And we know the Redeemer. May we so much more boldly risk it all to profess the good news of the gospel of the redemption of Jesus Christ. To tell about the great Redeemer. That in Him we have redemption through His blood. Amen? Look with me at what Paul says next. The forgiveness of our trespasses. He's going to climb a layer deeper. He's going to expand upon what we've received in Him because of redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses. What are trespasses? Think with me for a moment about that word. That we would do a better job thinking about the meaning of these important words. Our trespasses are our sin. Our sins. When we trespass, we are crossing a forbidden boundary. Trespassing. Sin. The boundary that God has set, we have crossed. It is our rebellious disregard for God's perfect law. It is our declaration of war against the sovereign God. Our arrogance to say, I don't care. I'm going to go where I want. I'm going to do what I want to do. Our trespasses are our transgressions. Another big, big word that's used often to define our sin. A transgression is an act that goes against the law, a rule, a code. It is an offense. These are all words used in Holy Scripture to define the greatest trespasses of all. A great boundary that we cross is greater than any boundary we would cross in this life of a foreign government or a national monument, the boundary that God requires, His glory, His His holiness, His holy standard to be met, and we cross it in our sin. The greatest transgression is not against the Constitution or another royal command of some ruling nation. It's not any of those laws. No, it is a transgression. Our sin is against God's perfect law. The law of God. Word of Truth Catechism defines sin this way. Question 33. What is sin? Sin is disobeying God. Sin is any disobedience in heart or deed to God's perfect law and commands. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 
James 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. We are a transgressor, sinner, guilty, not having met the perfect and holy standard of God that He requires to have fellowship with Him now and forever. Oh, how we must be more serious to see our offenses against God. When you finally have a right view and disgust for your sin before a holy God, you will have a right desperation and appreciation for your Redeemer. He is the only one through whom you can be forgiven of all of your sins. Colossians 1.13 For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Enslavement, bondage, darkness, dominion of darkness. And brought us, He brought us, He delivered us, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says that in Christ we have, we are possessors of redemption, deliverance. The forgiveness of sins means we're washed, we're clean, we're restored, we're made holy, we're redeemed. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, more clarity is given. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all All, not some, not the easy ones, not the ones we're willing to talk about. All our sins. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, He took it away nailing it to the cross. Our certificate of death, He nailed to the cross. Church, He forgave us all our sins. Some of you are hearing me, but you're not hearing me. Look at me. Christian, all of your sin is forgiven in Christ. All of it. The first thing we must understand of our gospel testimony is going to have true weight is that we are forgiven. 
2 Corinthians 5.17, NIV reads this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you are in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. That is good news. That is new birth. And and yet, beloved, let me ask you, are you living in that new identity in Christ? This is Paul's aim in this work to speak these truths, to remind the saints who they are in Christ, that it would affect every part of who you are, what you do, and how you go about the days God entrusts to you. We need to understand rightly and fully that in Christ we are fully and completely forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Our identity must be in Christ and not in brokenness or in shame of sin that's been paid for. Fully paid for in Christ. We need to stop climbing into old clothes that have been washed and forgiven and then somehow, woe is me, or, or, or get clouded with guilt of this clothes that's on me. They're washed. They're cleaned. Stop putting that back on top of you. God, holy God has said, you are forgiven. You don't even need to forgive yourself. That, 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 that's a self-minded, man-made conception. You need to understand God has forgiven you. Therefore, you are forgiven. You need to live out who you are in Christ. When you sin, do you go to God? God, will you forgive me for this? No, not in Christ. Why? I'll just say it frankly, because it's a stupid question. Because you are forgiven. God, I know I'm forgiven, but will you forgive me? No. What we say when we see our sin, when we sin, we go to God and we say, thank you, I am forgiven. We're instructed according to Scripture to confess our sin. God, this is sin, I call it sin, you call it sin. And we are instructed to repent, to turn from it. That's what we're called to do when we sin in Christ. Not go to Him with a misunderstanding of who we are in Christ and ask Him to do something He's already done. We must understand better and live out the fact that we are forgiven in Christ. And it must change us and transform us and send us. One of the biggest mistakes I see Christians make is they live in bondage. They live in bondage, watch this, but there are no more chains. They live like they're in debt, but the debt has been paid. Some of you need to grab hold of this. This thing maybe you've heard 
umpteen times before, but you still live like you're in debt, and yet there is no debt. It's been paid. Christian, rise up. Live your freedom in Christ. Live for the Redeemer. You are redeemed. You are ransomed. You are forgiven in Christ. Christian, how is your testimony to others worth anything if it is not first to your own heart and mind? It starts with you. It starts with these truths washing over you, you embracing them, and you living them. We must see who we are in Christ and live that out. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There it is. In case any part of this you thought was my idea, there it is. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're redeemed. But I've seen it again and again. And those who choose to go a different way. But here's the thing. It's wonderful to see those who actually live in this out. To know Christians who are former addicts, junkies, enslaved, given themselves to the drug, to the high. To the fix. Christians who are former dealers of this stuff. Christians who are former murderers who took people's lives, killed them. Christians who are former prostitutes for a horizontal gain, a, a, a earning of a buck, gave away. Some of the most intimate, precious gift of God. Christians who are former strippers. Former corporate thieves. Prideful, arrogant people. In Christ, these things to be no more. There's to be a renewal, a new beginning, a putting away of the old and a living the new. The decay of these sins no longer manifest in our lives as it once was. In so many, it is confession, surrender, repentance, and Christ's rule instead of self-rule that has brought about amazing new beginnings. Radical transformation. I ask you, are you living your life like you are still bound in sin? Or are you living as one who is forgiven for all your trespasses? So when you're tempted to look or to have or to do that which does not belong to one who is redeemed, you speak the truth. I'm not enslaved to this anymore. I have the power of God at work in and through me. I am redeemed. 
That I would turn from this sin and honor Him with this thought, action, or deed. Let me ask you, church, are you who have been forgiven, forgiving others? Or are you praising God that He forgave you, although you didn't deserve it, but then you're guilty of holding on to other people's debt? Church, one of the greatest workings of our gospel testimony is that we who are forgiven by the Holy God from all our sin do not then keep others' sin and hold it against them. No, we forgive them. But pastor, what if this person utterly doesn't deserve it? If you're asking that question, you need to climb back into the gospel and see with greater and clearer eyes absolutely what you 100% top to bottom did not deserve, and yet he forgave you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And in that, the gospel testimony goes to work. Christian, who do you need to finally forgive and stop living in bondage? Remember, if they don't deserve to be forgiven, neither did you. Your sin, your trespasses, your offense against the holy perfection of God was an offense you could never pay in a thousand lifetimes. But He forgave you with the blood of His Son. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Praise the Lord. It gets better. Look with me. According to the riches of His grace in which He lavished upon us. Jesus redeemed us, delivered us from enslavement to sin, our dominion in darkness and death, from that to forgiveness and freedom to life with Christ. This only happened because of the grace of God. God, who is not obligated to save anyone, instead His obligation was to be full in His justice and wrath, Justice for sin is judgment, condemnation, and death. That's what we deserved. But God, in His amazing grace, freely chose to satisfy His wrath for our sin by putting it on Jesus. This is the ransom price. This is the costly price. Costly to God, and free to us. Free because it's a gift. It's not something we deserved or earned. Salvation, church, is a gift. This is the good news of saving grace. God chose to redeem, chose to forgive, forgive, 
because of the riches of His grace. The amazing value and prize of His grace. Oh, how rich it is. There is no treasure, there is no gift, no riches that compare to the riches of God's saving grace. And Paul's emphasizing here that he didn't just give it like, here's my one little present for you. No, he backed up a semi-truck and dumped out all the riches of his grace upon us, church. He doesn't just show up with one little gift. No, his gifts, his riches, fill the room and never run out. Remember here something I said a few weeks ago when we studied Paul's words about what it means to have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Sinclair Ferguson said this, When we become Christians, we do not merely receive a benefits package from Christ containing forgiveness, new life, new hope, and so on. But much more than that is involved. We receive Christ Himself. We are united to Him by the Holy Spirit so that all that He achieved for us becomes ours. In this sense, says Paul, we died with Christ, are buried and raised with Him, ascended with Him, reign with Him, and will be with Him when He comes into glory. Here we are given a catalog of the superabundance of blessing that comes to us in and with Christ. Election, adoption, redemption, sanctification, forgiveness. Big words, big blessings. The prize is God. It's life with God. Union with Christ. Fellowship with the Holy Divine. God is the all-satisfying one. Christian, your salvation, your faith, your obedience, your relationship with God should never be seen as the means to something more. Some prize or fulfillment in something created, in something temporary, something outside of God. God is not the means to any other end. God is the prize. God is the treasure that surpasses all other gifts and riches. The riches of His grace by which He has lavished on us gets us God. (laughs) This is the good news, church, of our redemption. Paul saying you weren't just freed and then sent on your way. You were freed to come Feast and enjoy and live for God. It's not just deliverance from sin and death, from slavery and eternal condemnation. It's not just pardon from sin, forgiveness we didn't earn. Those things are amazing. But they're worthless if they don't equal a restored relationship with God. He is the source of life, of love, of satisfaction. Everything else is secondary or counterfeit. This was John's emphasis in his Gospel. John 1.16 For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. From His fullness. The absolute deity of Jesus Christ The same word is found in Colossians 1.19 and 2.9. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9 and 10. In Him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. 
and you have been filled in Him. Jesus Christ, church, is full. He never has been or will ever be lacking. He's full. He's complete. He's satisfied. He's God. Now watch this. Only out of His fullness are you and I filled. Made complete. Anything else we might try to put our cup into to fill us up will not. Only Jesus. Jesus is sufficient because despite what popular movies declare, no one else completes you but Jesus. The problem is, all too often, those who claim Christ get really busy looking for something else to complete them. And like the movie, we're like the single mom looking for a functional Savior in a man instead of the Savior Himself. And all we end up with in this search is dysfunctional Saviors. Why? Because no matter how amazing that man may be, they can never and will never be what only Jesus is to you. I speak this truth to every bride at every wedding standing in that most intimate space, that very small space between a bride and a groom, two who are about to become one. And I look with her and pitch my shoulder with him over it and say, he will never satisfy you like only Christ can. Don't be deceived. Pretty big, bold words to stay in front of the groom to his bride. And oh, how we must get it. And how much I'm loving her to help her understand that truth. Guys, it applies to us too. Having kids cannot fulfill you, complete you like Christ. A new job, money, popularity, friends, none of it doesn't fill you like Christ. Only Christ is sufficient. But you can't just say amen to that and then move on today and then turn back to your pursuit of your functional saviors. We must see that that's religion and not gospel transformation. We cannot be filled by our own efforts or another object. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus is full. We are desperate for Christ alone and God's amazing grace. From His fullness we have received grace upon grace. Last week in the sermon we, we saw we will forever praise God for His glorious grace. Because God is full, He's able to provide us with grace that's not just for a moment, but it's a grace that is ongoing and it's lavished upon us, the Bible says. Christ is so full, He continues to give grace upon grace. I want you to stop and really ponder for a moment that reality as we close. How the grace of God's at work in your life. 
every moment of every day. The evidence of grace upon grace in the life of a child of God is staggering when we slow down and behold all that God is and all that He has done and all that He is doing. Ephesians 1, 7-8 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Amen? Amen? Pray with me. The way the riches of Your grace abound in our lives, God, is truly amazing. And I thank You for this Scripture to delve into this morning, to, to grow in our understanding application of redemption, being forgiven. That these things would not be religious terms set aside for everyday words, but they would, they would take over. They would be so central and all-consuming in our reality and testimony that we just never tire of speaking of the beauty of these things. And therein lies our motivation to praise you. Our motivation to testify of this gospel, to make disciples, to put away the pursuits of the temporary, and to be full in Christ. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.